and good morning. Welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host and I'm fired up today. I have got a I've got a really really special guest on today. This dude is a self-made multimillionaire. He's known on Instagram and Facebook as Ask a Millionaire. Mr. Sean Thomas is joining us today. Sean, welcome to the show, man. Good to be here, Ken. Finally, man. Finally, I get to I finally get to see your face on on one of these things. <laughs> Dude, I am excited. Like I, I don't even think I slept much last night. So, um, like, look, this I, I created this show. As you know, I've had a lot of our mutual friends on the show, and and it's about helping people get unstuck. Because I think we all go through the crap in life. We get stuck. We don't know how to overcome it and, and get back on track. And, and I know you've got one hell of a story. I've heard it. <laughs> and I can't wait for you to share it. So um, how about we start with where you were born and raised? All right. So, man, I've got, uh, I've got a, one of those really, really long stories that I – and if you know me, even though I'm on social media, I don't like to talk about myself a lot. So I, I, I'm going to – be as brief about this as possible because I don't want to bore people. But I was born in a military family. So I was born in Austell, Georgia. Uh, both my parents were in the Army. So at two years old, we moved to Washington, D.C. At, at four years old, we moved to New Mexico, White Sands Missile Range. And then at seven or eight years old, we moved to uh, Fort Richardson, Alaska. Then when I was about 10 or 11, we moved to Eagle River, Alaska, which is a little suburb about 15 miles north of Anchorage on the way out to where Sarah Palin lives, since most people know where Sarah Palin lives out there in Palmer area. And then my parents still live in the exact same house I grew up in. It's a little three bedroom, small, two, uh, one and a half bath townhouse um, con uh, duplex. At 18, I moved to California. I, was, I lived there three years. I got a record deal, traveled the country for a year. Oh, you got it. Finished off the deal, moved to Birmingham, lived in Birmingham three years. Then I moved to Memphis and lived there 10 years. And then in 2006, I moved to Nashville, and I've been here ever since. So, <laughs> okay, well, hey, thanks for being on. Appreciate you, man. <laughs> like, dude, so wait, wait. You got you slid that in there super fast. I got to know more about – what do you mean you got a record deal? So when I was in high school, I played a lot of sports growing up. And, you know, in high school, you have to pick electives. And me and my friend were registering for our electives, and we saw this line of all the hot girls in this one line. And we're like, what the fuck is going on over there? Oh, is it okay to cuss on your show? Sure, dude. It's, 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 it's we're, but we're kids, right? We're yeah. kids. That's what we yeah. say. What the fuck's going on over there? We got to check that out. So we go jump in line with all these hot girls that, you know, we know and what have you. And we're like, what is this line? They're like, this is choir. And we're like, uh, Okay. <laughs> we get to hang out with you all day? Okay. So oh I God. found out that I just really enjoyed singing and I was okay at it. I was just okay, but yeah. I really enjoyed it. So I, I basically was in choir from sophomore, junior, senior year, really became, you know, it was a big part of my life. I loved to sing. I learned that I really loved to dance. And MTV came out when I was in high school and, and I said, I need to be a rock star. I need to be on TV. I need to be on MTV. And so I said, the only way I'm going to do this is I need to move to La I need to move to California because I'm not going to get a record deal in Eagle River, Alaska. So two weeks after graduating high school, I, I was 400 bucks in my pocket, moved to California. I had auditioned for a song and dance company when I was in high school that was based in Southern California, and I got accepted. 
So when I moved down there, it wasn't like I was moving down there without a plan. I joined this uh, nonprofit. It's a nonprofit song and dance company called the Young Americans. I lived with three other guys in a two bedroom apartment, got a job as a wait as a chef, actually, at Marie Callender's, which is a little restaurant in Southern California. Wow. And I got a job. Uh, and, and I just basically learned how to sing and learn how to dance in this group. And then after about two and a half years, I started auditioning in Hollywood, kind of like American Idol. Yeah. You know, that's they had a lot of those. This was back during the boy band days of New Kids on the Block and NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and, and New Edition and all that stuff. And and so I auditioned for one of those. Ten thousand kids showed up. Me and three other guys won it. And it was a record deal on Warner Brother Records. It was a deal where we were going to travel with Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey Circus for a year. We played every major arena in the United States, Madison Square Garden, for six weeks. We got on MTV, which was the goal that I initially had, Billboard magazine, team magazines. And it was just a really amazing time as a 21-year-old, 22-year-old. So, you like it was a band? You were in like this yeah, band? band? Just like NSYNC. What? And- How did I not know this, dude? Yeah, I don't talk like I said. I don't talk about myself a lot. So a lot people always, you know, are like, "What?" Like I've got like five lives within my one life, man. I'm telling you. I, I, dude, I remember when MTV came out too, um, when it was actually they actually played music videos. <laughs> like I don't think they do that anymore. But like, yeah, so so wait a minute. So you were you you? Why is my camera getting all blurry? So you? No, mine is too. It's weird. Um, so, so what was the name of the band? Did you say it was, called Mo- it was in motion? We were on Warner brother records, Michael and Mo Austin, who were the top dogs of Warner brothers at the time they signed us. We were the reason that we got a deal just without even having to try is, um, one of our managers was Jeff Barry, who wrote the song do what diddy and chapel of love back in the day. And yeah. his, his, his songwriting capabilities and reputation along with, Kenneth Feld, who was another one of our managers who owned, you know, his family owned the circus and Walt Disney on ice and Siegfried and Roy back in the day. They basically had pre-negotiated the deal based on the, 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 the uh, exposure for the amount of people that were going to walk, go to see us at the circus. Yeah. So they had pre-negotiated the deal and they just were looking for the kids to fill the spots. And so out of 10,000 kids in multiple cities, I was one of them that got chosen. So it was pretty damn cool. That is unbelievably cool. I had no idea, man. That's freaking awesome. Well, that would that would be a a at 20, 21 years old, that would be a a confidence booster. I'll tell you, man, it's funny that you just say that because I was going to I was going to talk about that, but but I was going to let you kind of lead the way, but if you can't believe that anything is possible if you set your mind to it after leaving a small town in Alaska, and within three years in one of the largest cities in the world with zero experience, getting a record deal on one of the largest record labels in the world and travel and play more arenas than any other band has ever played with a, with one of the longest stints in Madison Square Garden history. If that doesn't boost your confidence for the rest of your life to know that anything's possible, I don't know what will. Dude, that I, I mean, that's that's so true. That is absolutely amazing. So, and, and and the fact that you know you went to Los Angeles from Alaska with four hundred dollars, um, that's 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 roughing it, man. That's that's definitely not where you are today. <laughs> but that's that's starting out roughing it. 
Well, you're not, but, but it, it didn't seem like rough. Like, what, what, what else is there to do? You know, I was 18 years old. I was 18 years old. I had a place to live. I just, like, within three days, I had to get a job because I had to pay my first month's rent at the place. So it's like I walked around the street. I didn't even have a car. I walked around the neighborhood in Fullerton. We're in Orange County, Fullerton, California. Yeah. I walked around the neighborhood and applied at every single restaurant, every department store, the first place that hired me was Marie Callender's because their cook had just quit. I wanted to be a waiter because waiters make more money, right. tips. But I had I was a chef when I was in high school for this luxurious train car that is you know one of the most luxurious train cars in the world. Yeah. So I had got trained to be a chef on this train, and the guy saw that on my resume and said, "You can cook." I said, "Yeah," and he said, "I'll hire you tomorrow." I know you want to be a waiter, and I said, "Well, I really want to be a waiter because I need to make more money." He goes. You just be a, come in and be a cook, and then when I have a weight job position open up, I'll, I'll, I'll transition you over. And I was like, I need a job, so I'm just going to take the first thing, burn the hands, we're two in the bush. Right. So I was like, I'm taking the job, boom. And I, I had enough money to start paying rent and living life. That is freaking awesome, man. So And, and, you, and one good thing about working in a restaurant, y'all, I got something to eat. You know, <laughs> right. restaurants eat their employees, so I wasn't rough, and I was eating great food every day and night because I was a chef, so I could eat whatever I wanted, which was really cool. Right, right. Dude, that's awesome. So, so and by the way, I just want to say this. Please share this out. Like, like share it out. This is going to be one of the best shows I've had, I have a feeling. So, oh, so, every podcast interviewer says that. No, dude, I've, I, I, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've interviewed 160 people so far, man. I, I'm excited about this one. So you like, and and that's that's one of the things that you know, like you. It sounds like you were raised in a in a average American home, I, I would assume. Um, outside of the moving every couple of years, <laughs> that's that's a little intense. You know, for military families, that's just the way it is. So as a kid, you, you, you will modify your experiences based on your surroundings. So, so for me, it just never really was that big of a deal. It's just I thought everybody was that way. We all think that everybody lives the way that we live when we grew up. And it isn't until you get out there and start experiencing life that you realize that everybody's different. Right. And that's the cool thing. And we have to start dropping those perceived, you know, judgments and things that we – you know, that we self-impose out there. But, you know, middle America, you know, I wouldn't say we had an average family. I mean, my, my mom and dad were very successful at what they do. They weren't successful financially, but my dad was the post-commanding sergeant major of every army base in Alaska. He was as high as you could go in the military wow. as an enlisted guy. I mean, he was, he was, he was the fucking Bill Gates of, of the military in Alaska. I mean, he wow. was the the most successful, one of the most successful people wasn't a multimillionaire or anything like that, but he was successful. So right. I think that that's one of the things as I look back, I realize that I, that's why I talk about this a lot, that I don't judge my life by the amount of money I make to be successful. It's a piece of the equation, but, you know, I, being being average, what is that? You know, so to me, I just think, you know, success has to be defined by the individual. And I feel like I grew up in a very successful household. My parents were still together. They loved each other. They pushed me to be the best I could be. They always supported me, even if they didn't know how to help me with something. Like, they can't help me be an entrepreneur, right. but they were always there. Right. So they always gave me money when I needed. Didn't have a lot, but when I needed 100 bucks, they sent me 100 bucks. So right. I feel like I grew up in, like, one of the best households that you could ever imagine growing up. And I, I 
definitely wouldn't consider it average. I, I would consider it spectacular. That's that's incredible. And and if I said average, I used the wrong word. I meant like a there was no crazy like you didn't get beat and locked in a closet. And, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, and no, I didn't mean it. I didn't I didn't take it negatively. Yeah. But I just think I just like to I wanted to intimate it for the audience that, you know, there's average is a very subjective term. Yes. And, you know, so, you know, society might might impose what the word average is, whatever. But I think it's you know, since this is a show, I want to be able to provide some inspiration and some some color in, into the background. And, right. and and that's one of the things I like to say is, listen, you know, success and average and excellent and rich and powerful. They're all subjective terms yep. that we can just, you know, figure out how to wordsmith and manipulate and, and leverage for our own being. Well, and I, you know, I followed you and somebody else just mentioned on Facebook comments that. You know, I've followed you since Periscope, man. I mean, I've known you for a long time from way back in those days, right? And 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 so and and, dude, one of the things that you do that and and I'm I'm kind of going off the chronological path for a second, but but one of the things that you do that I I just freaking love, man, is I, I'm I'm a giver. I I love to give and help other people and entrepreneurs and and all of that. And that's something you do is you get on your, your Instagram lives. I've, I've been on many, many, many Instagram lives and you invite people in and you answer the questions and you go, no, that's a stupid idea. Don't do that. You know, or, and you're, you know what I mean? Like you're just, I don't say it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know, but you're, you're honest with people, I guess. Right. You just tell them, you know, Hey, this is, and, and you're, you're a, a, I didn't put it in there, but you're a very in the description on Facebook, but you're a very giving person of your time. And, and, and I love that about you, man. So, you know, and it's because I think that it's, I got I've got a million questions going on in my head. Like I want to know what it was like growing up in Alaska. I've never even been to Alaska, but I hear it's phenomenal. So Alaska is the only word that I can use to describe for Alaska is it's majestic. It's, it's beyond beautiful. It is absolutely majestic. And, you know, growing up there, you kind of take it for take it, you know, for granted. But, man, I'm telling you, the, it has some of the highest mountain ranges in the world. It has Mount McKinley, you know, Denali, Denali which is one of the you know tallest mountains in the world. And, you know, it was you know, it was just another place growing up because as a kid, you don't you've never I, we didn't travel a lot. So I couldn't compare it to anything. It was just a place I grew up. But as I look back, as I travel the world, I do realize it's one of the most majestic places in the world. But, you know, it's where I lived. It, it wasn't a lot of the uh, um, perceived things of what Alaska is like. I didn't grow up on the North Pole, so it wasn't dark 24 hours a day. We got but in the winter, we did only get four to five hours of sunlight. Yeah. So it wasn't a lot of sunlight by two o'clock. It's dark. And I mean, when I say dark, I mean, it's pitch black. I used to wake up in the morning. My first job was as a paper boy when I was 12 years old because we didn't have a lot of money and I wanted to buy new shoes to keep up with my friends because they got new shoes and all that stuff. And my parents said, well, if you want to go buy some new shoes, you ready to get a job at 12 years old? I'm like, well, okay. So my dad gets me a job as a paper boy and I would wake up at four o'clock in the morning. Some, and I'm, I'm an exaggerate. I'm going to dramatize it. But there were days where it was four o'clock in the morning, pitch black, three feet of snow, 
20 degrees below zero, and I'm sleeving these newspapers in the garage and having to truck out over a two and a half mile area and deliver newspapers. And the newspapers were so big on Sundays that you could only fit eight in the front and eight in the back. And I had to deliver 200 newspapers. So I had to go out, come back, go out, come back all before going to school too. So, you know, I, I had that story for my grandkids, which I don't have any kids, so I'm not going to have grandkids probably, but that I used to deliver, you know, I, I used to walk uphill both ways. That's how hard it was. But that's kind of, you know, my dad did that to set the tone that if you really want something, you better be willing to put in the work. And so I learned that at an early age. But growing up, there was just like growing up anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Except for most places don't get 20 below zero and three feet of snow. But, right. but, and, and so, and, and I used to live in Seattle. So I, I, which is, you know, just a little south of there, but it gets dark early in Seattle also. So, yeah. But so, okay. So you, you ended up in a, in a boy band on MTV, which I had no idea. Never heard that before. So that's, that's new. Um, you had a record deal with, I, I mean, they're the largest in the world, aren't they? Warner? Warner Brothers. Warner, Warner Brothers is one of the largest. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if they're the largest, but they're Probably. one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, them and Sony, maybe. I don't know. But so you, you had that and then you, you um, somehow ended up in Nashville. Well, you went to yeah, Memphis. well, there's a lot, there's, and there's a lot between there as well. I've got probably two lives just between between California to Nashville. I've got at least two lives between there. Wow. So after I got off of the circus, I, I moderately tried to go solo when they when they canceled our contract and realized that we weren't going to be the next Backstreet Boys. Yeah. And yeah. so they basically just sent us out in the world and said, "Thanks, guys. We really appreciate the work you did. Have a great life." And we were like, "Oh, well, what do we do now?" And so I'm coming off one of the highest highs of life. My ego is about as huge as it can be. And so I had met a girl in Birmingham, Alabama, and we become friends. And she said, listen, if you want to go solo, come to Birmingham because I've got some connections in Nashville and some connections here. And we could start kind of recording some music. So I didn't get connected with the right enough people that had the right music and the right things. But here's the interesting thing to come full circle. Because at the time, country music was not as big as it is today. Yeah. So I was young, naive, and probably that that naivety with no mentors probably led me to probably one of the decisions that life could have gone very different. I'm so happy today, but it could have been very different. Let me explain. She had a relationship with um, this guy, Jimmy Bowen, up in Nashville, who's kind of the godfather of music. And if you Google him, you'll see he's he was Liberty Records. He, this guy's a pioneer. And he got us onto one of his A&R people. They, they brought me into Nashville. I did a demo and they said, listen, if you'll move to Nashville, we'll give you a demo deal we'll, and, and we'll cultivate you. And then there's this guy named Billy Dean, who was a star back in the day. And we'll put you out on tour with him, the bars, and we'll start building you. Totally passed it up. Totally just said no. And because I didn't know anything about country music. I wasn't a country guy. Back in the day, country music was like, if you're not from the country, then stay out of our music. And I just didn't feel that it resonated with my soul and my passion because I liked pop music. Yeah. Today, country music is pop. So I was like, I wish it would have been today. So I passed on it um, and we can never get anything else going. So when I got off the road, I went and got jobs. Here I came off of playing Madison Square Garden to working at a, lo a local family Italian restaurant for $100 a night in tips. 
Oh my God. Tell me that that's not like humbling, but you know what? I got to pay bills and I got to, I got to do what I got to do. So I had multiple jobs set, you know, uh, at, at restaurants and things like that. And then I just partied every night going out to clubs and living the life. And then, um, about two, about two and a half years into that, my friend moved to Memphis because her dad passed away and he was an insurance agent. Now I had no college degree, so I couldn't get a real job with a pretty decent salary, but I loved sales because I was always a waiter. And so I also did kind of some door to door. Oh man, I have another life on that too. I did some door to door sales selling books in Birmingham as well for 400 bucks a week. Oh wow. And I was working like a hundred hours a week making 450. It was crazy. But anyway, so I moved to Memphis and get into the insurance business. And so I get into the business of selling insurance, uh, life and health insurance, great training program, great manager, kind of one of my first mentors. And he just taught me. So I learned a lot about accounting, finance, estate planning, retirement, financial planning, all that type of stuff. I would go to, I'd go to work during the day because I was 100% commission. I'd go to work selling insurance during the day, and then I'd go work at Outback Steakhouse at night to earn tips so I could pay my bills. Oh. And then I'd party every Friday and Saturday night. <laughs> so after doing that, during that process, and you can stop me at any time. No, I'm go, like, dude. I'm loving it. this. So during that time, this is from, I moved to Nashville or Memphis when it was about 94, 95. Claim bankruptcy in 95 because I got I had a hernia surgery that was $12,000, didn't have insurance, and it racked up about $3,000 worth of credit card debt. And some attorney who convinces me to claim bankruptcy, even though it was only fifteen grand, stupidest thing I've ever done in my life, convinces me to claim bankruptcy. So I claimed bankruptcy in 1995. And, I'm, and as I look back, I'm like, I could have gone out there and made fifteen grand in a year to pay that. Why did I listen to that guy? Yeah. So my credit was screwed up for 10 years, but that's another story. So, so I moved to Memphis. I get into insurance business. During that time, like many people on social media today, I was trying all kinds of just get rich quick schemes. I tried, I tried network, network marketing. Um, not that that's a get rich quick scheme, but I looked at it that way. Sure, sure. Because I was, I didn't know much about network marketing. The people that I got involved with, they convinced me to get in all because of the commission checks and the money and all that instead of the real solid product and company and all that. So I got mixed up with the wrong people. I was just looking for the get rich quick. Um, tried real estate. I tried all kinds of stuff. None of it worked out. And so that's that's what brought me to Memphis. Wow. And there's another story on what brought me to Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey, okay, so Memphis, I got lost in Memphis one night, actually, in the wrong part of Memphis. I, I needed, I was headed to Dallas, and I needed gas, and I got off at the wrong exit. <laughs> and if you've never been lost in the wrong part of Memphis, I highly recommend you give it a go. So, yeah. so it's, but I, you know, I don't know a lot about Memphis, except for I got off at that wrong exit and quickly got back on the interstate, but, but, but so, so you, you were in Memphis. I mean, dude, so you go from this, like, I've got this record deal with Warner Brothers and, and traveling with, with, was it ring? It's Ringling Brothers, right? Yep. Which is the largest circus in the world. And, 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 and then you're, you're, you're in Memphis going door to door selling all kinds of stuff trying to insurance make it, yeah trying to make it and yep. and then you had a, a a medical emergency you had to you had to deal with that and filed bankruptcy <laughs> over 15 grand which hey it makes sense to me man back when you're that age like it's like you know it, an attorney can talk you into crazy stuff at at, at yes know. stupidity which is why you know, and we'll segment into this, you know, what I do today in mentoring, but it's one of the reasons why 
I just wish more people would get mentors as soon as possible. I don't care if it's a business mentor or even a personal life mentor to help make better decisions because it was so that bankruptcy probably cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars over the next 10 years in interest payments and all the things I had to do because of that bankruptcy. It was so stupid. And if I had had a, a guy like you or me to talk to and go, do you think this is a good decision? And you're going, no, it's a horrible decision. Yeah. Go work three jobs, right. live with your friends, pay down your debt for two years. That's going to be a better decision than claiming bankruptcy. I would have listened to a mentor and it would have saved me all the aggravation, aggravation, the money and the embarrassment. Yeah. Now I know that guys like me love to say I clean bankruptcy, you know, so I know how it was. But it's fucking embarrassing <laughs> to, to admit that I claim bankruptcy. It's, it's just embarrassing. It is. You know, man. so I use it as a positive that I was able to overcome it, but it's still embarrassing. And so I, I would try to save people from those types of embarrassments as much as possible. So all the people on social media, your some of your audience members watching this that get involved with a scam artist, that buy something for $1,500 and the people run with it. If you talk to people like you and me and other mentors out there and you show us what you're about to buy and we can review it with you, I can almost guarantee you 99% of the times I I can show you why something is a scam before you do it and save you that money and that time, that embarrassment of making a bad decision and then you coming to Ken and me and saying, I screwed up, I just lost $10,000, what should I do now? No, (laughs) let's train you to ask before you lose the $10,000, right? Right. So I wish I would have had somebody like that when I was younger. Dude, and and, you know, I I mean, just like you, I'm sure you still make like, God, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have done that. You know, we all, we all make, I, I think the day you're dead is the day you stop making mistakes. Like it right. just happens. Right. But exactly. like, like, you know, uh, I, I love what you're saying about, you know, because I have mentors, Lisa Copeland, she's, she's on here by the way, or she was, um, so, you know, she's a mentor of mine. I, I, I'll call her all the time and say, Hey, what do you think of this? And She'll say, no, don't do that. And I'll go, okay, okay. And we talk through it. You know, it's so important to get surrounded by the right people for sure. So, so you ended up though, going to, um, you ended up in Nashville and and from Memphis to Nashville. What, what was that about? So, so between the time that I was in the insurance business, I left the insurance business and I won't take bore you with the whole story of how I got involved with a scam artist in really crazy time. That's a whole another story. But I got involved with this startup company that was selling a technology to hotel. It ended up not working. But during that process, I became really great with computers in this particular application that we were trying to sell to the hotel industry. So as that business failed, I came up with the idea of putting a computer in the lobby of a hotel so that guests could use the computer when they're traveling. This was... Immediately when high-speed internet came out back in 2001 and two, mm-hmm. this was before smartphones existed. This was before most people even carried laptops. Laptops were pretty new and only business travelers 
had laptops. So it was before today. So imagine back in the day, if you're old like me, and it was coming off dial-up, and you were getting the high-speed internet connection, and then Wi-Fi came out. I had the idea to solve this need for people that needed a computer when they traveled to check their email, print some documents, print out some menus at the restaurant, whatever, to put these in hotel lobbies. So I started this company in 2002 after this failed other failed business. I literally had zero money, but I, I scra- scraped up enough money. I always say it's $500, but I don't even know if it was really $500. But I bought a computer from an off-lease company, and I went out to a hotel, and I said, "Can I, I want to put this in your hotel. Your guests will use this. I'll give it to you for free if you'll let me sell billboard advertising on it, on the desktop, like little business card advertising, yeah. digital advertising. And he's like, okay, go for it. Went out, I put it in the, in the hotel. I went out to the local restaurants and said, hey, do you want to advertise on that computer for a hundred bucks? That hotel doesn't have a restaurant. They're going to need somewhere to eat when they stay here. Your restaurant can be there. And I convinced 10, 10 restaurants to advertise on it. Dude, that and is, I just, that's it, freaking brilliant. It was, you know, it was, uh, it, you know, when you when your back is against the wall and you have no money, you get really creative, right? Right. Yeah. So dude, that's yeah. where, and that's a, you know, that's a whole other story. That's how I can understand that when people self sabotage, but they're but they're but they are they know how to overcome struggles. They let themselves come down to where they're fuck. I got to make a hundred dollars of my rents due, right. and they'll find ways to make and just squeak by and then they'll get a little savings or whatever and then they'll go blow it because they self-sabotage well that was me so i got really good at just bailing myself out well luckily because i was so good at that when i actually found a business that had real potential money started coming in so i just kept repeating that process and then after i had that company that was 2002 in 2006 the company was growing pretty significantly um, I was about to get a deal with Embassy Suites Hotels for like a it was a million dollar deal. I convinced a guy to invest in my company and he had offices and all that stuff in Nashville. And he says, I'll invest in your company if you'll move to Nashville. And I was like, done, because I hated Memphis. He gave me an office to work out of, gave me some infrastructure. He became my next really great mentor. And so I moved to Nashville and that's what brought me to Nashville. Dude, okay. So, uh, <laughs> okay. So I, and I get this, I get this, I can relate to this and I know there's a lot of people on here that can also relate, but there's a lot, most people can't. And that is the, the gradient, like you, you're, how many, and th- I, I want to bring up the get rich quick things. Cause I like, dude, somebody tells me about a network marketing deal. I'm all, I almost always do it. Like even now, like I've done, I've done like 10 of them in the last year and I'm like, I know I don't have the time to invest that it takes to become successful, but I do it anyway, right? I'm an easy sell. Do not hit me up. Don't start hitting me up with all of, don't <laughs> do it. But, but, you know, so the gradient, I, like as an entrepreneur, it's, I think that it's very common that you, you, you invest 500 bucks or a thousand bucks or 20 bucks, right? And you're like, okay, I want my results and my wealth now, right now. And, and exactly. then it didn't work that way. But I, my question for you, because here you are now looking at, at this, this Embassy Suites thing, right? Which is a multi-million dollar deal. And, and you'd never had that before, had you? 
Never, ever. Never had the opportunity to make that kind of money, ever. What was that like? What was that, that moment, if you can recall it? That moment- it was exciting. It was exciting. Here I was, I had, I had worked my ass off for three years in my business. I had finally gotten my business just through working really hard. It was myself and one independent contractor salesperson at this time. That's it. Wow. And so he, he and I would do the sales. I would do all of the computer programming and customer 24 seven customer support, everything. And <laughs> there's a whole bunch of this. I'm just trying not to bore your audience. No, um, dude, this is, this is good stuff, man. So they bring me into the room and they say, Hey, listen, we want you to do what you're doing for our embassy suites here in Memphis. We want you to do this for all 450 of our, of our North American hotels. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, in my mind, I'm doing the math. I'm like, this could be really cool. And they say, can you do it? I'm like, of course I can do it. Now they, there's a whole different art. And this is something, this is a whole other learning lesson that I could teach your audience through something else. And this is why they should join my membership group so I can really teach them this stuff because this is too much for this. For I, what I we're, agree. We're going to promote hours, all but of that. People don't understand that when you're trying to do business with a big company like Hilton or Marriott or some of these companies, they can bankrupt your company because they'll send you so much business. And if you don't have the ability to scale your business quick enough, you'll end up going out of business and, and they have to worry about that. Yeah. Like they really have. Marriott told me specifically, they said, Sean, we need to see your financials. We need to understand your process. We need to understand how you can scale your business because we have literally bankrupted companies by sending them too much business. Now, most people can't understand that because they've never been through it. But once I went through it, I can completely understand how that could happen. Didn't happen to us because we, what I was doing was very scalable, but man, it was, I can understand it. So I was excited at the opportunity, but when they told me, Sean, we called around to all the hotels for Hilton and Hilton uh, family, and they all said they loved the product, the service was great, and so we asked them about the service. What happens when you call Uniguest for support? They're like, they answer the phone every time. Awesome, and how's the support? Great. Who do you, who do you deal with there? They're like, we always get Sean. <laughs> I was the only person answering the phone, 24 hours a day to 100 hotels. They're like, yeah, we always talk to Sean. He's the guy that always answers. So pretty soon, Embassy Suites was like, you're the only guy, aren't you, Sean? Oh my well, we're God. about to give you 450 employees, 450 more hotels. How are you going to handle this? So that's when I picked up the phone. I called that, that guy and I said, hey, Mark, and he remembered me because he had given me some advice a few years ago. Yeah. I said, I'm about to close a deal with Embassy Suites. I need your help. I need some money. I need to grow this company. Would you be interested? He interviewed me, I passed the test. He said, let's do it. I brought him with me to the final closing meeting. I said, you asked me how I can handle this? Boom, here's the plan, this is how. They had already known who Mark was because Mark was selling to the hotel industry yeah. and we closed the deal and the rest is history. Dude, that is insane. So again, uh, it's, it's, it goes back to you've gotta have, you've gotta have people in your corner. Well, you, it's, you do, but here's the thing. I, you know, I talk about this a lot and you hear a lot of successful people and I know you say this, I was really 
the best at what I did. I knew every facet of my business. I knew exactly what would be needed to scale it. I knew what type of employees I would need. I knew exactly how to ship, how to, how to configure, how to customer service, how to sell it. I knew everything inside and out. Yeah. You know, at that moment. And they knew that. And I, and it wasn't me just talking that I knew. It was demonstrated by the customers that were already in place that were in their family of hotels. So all I had to do was show them that we could handle the business based on history. It wasn't just conjecture. It wasn't just fake it till you can make it. It was, you know, real life examples. And I think that that is a message in itself for today, today's people that are trying to build their business. You, I recommend become a true expert in your field because people want to trust who they're doing business with. And you got to have the demonstrable stories and successes to prove that you are that expert. That's right. If you are the expert, you're going to have the confidence and you will get the business. There's plenty of business out there. So that's why we got the deal. But to, to your point, I didn't have a team. I didn't know how to hire a team. I didn't know how to build a team. It was me and one guy. That was it. Wow. But... That's why I was able to humble myself enough, bring in this other guy who was 10 years older than me. He already had a multi-million dollar business, and he became my next mentor that was like, okay, now you need an operations manager. Now you need another customer service person. Now you need another sales. And we, he helped me just like I do for people in my mentorship group now. He helped me build my company, learn what books to read, what classes to take, what kind of coaching programs to get in. He helped me with that process. So, I, and I have a, a point I'd like to make about that because he, he basically became a partner, right? Yeah, fifty. I man, another naive mistake of mine. Oh, no. I sold fifty-one percent of my company to him for one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. Oh dear God! Ouch! I couldn't now. So that's another whole story. I could help somebody through a process of what I could have done in negotiating the deal if I had known what I know now. Right. Like there's a lot of things I could have negotiated in the deal had I known that those types of things are negotiable. But at that time, I had no mentors. I had no business experience. It was his attorneys. I was just like, sign me up. Let's do it. So. Wow. Well, it worked out. What am I? It's not like I'm going to complain. Right. The guy gave me a multi. The guy helped me become a multi-millionaire. Right. I was going to say. I mean, in the end, it kind of all worked out for you. Probably could have gotten. But I, you know, I want to talk about that. So, to join your mentor group, how much is it? It's four hundred eighty bucks a year or forty-eight bucks a month. Okay. So, and which is ridiculous. Like in the world of what we do, it's absolutely asinine and ridiculous. And the reason why is. That I price it this way, and I'm following the principles of my last company. Competitors got into the space once they saw how much money we were making with our company, and they were charging double and triple, and people would pay it. I wanted to be the high-volume person serving the most underserved part of of the community. In my mind, my mentorship group isn't meant for people that are already ha- that already have million-dollar businesses with a lot of discretionary income. Right. I wanted to create a mentorship group for the underserved market, the people that were just starting out, the people doing 100, 200, 300,000 in revenue, limited on cash because once you get into a mentorship group and you really start learning from somebody, yep. we're going to tell you to go buy other stuff. We're going to say, 
go get this book, go get this digital online class, go to this conference, go to this workshop. And they're going to need money for that. Yep. So I don't want to take all their money like a lot of coaches do. Yeah. Not, not that that's bad. Coaches should, should get what they deserve. But right. I don't want to take all their money for the mentorship because I don't want them to be cash flow strapped that they can't go out and buy the, invest in their other things that they're going to need. Well, so I, wanted to, I want to get as many people as possible in and get them the mentorship they need. There's still going to be some good money in it once there's a few thousand members. But – that's not what this is all about, as you know. This is all about the money for this. I really want to make an impact. And so I priced it in a way that anybody that has any kind of small business should be able to scrape together 48 bucks a month. Well, and again, you know, look, you – so, I mean, I've already picked up ideas just listening to you in the last 40 minutes, so 41 minutes. I've picked up ideas that I know I can apply to my life and – even though I'm very successful in business, I want to join your mentor group, dude. So, like, cool. I'm I, I, you know, and and the reason is, is it only takes one, one thing. It could be that oh. one thing, man, and boom. And it's not going to cost me. Like, look, you sold fifty-one percent of your company for one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. Is a lot of money, right? When you're broke, <laughs> like, it's a exactly. lot of money. Right. When well, you have 30 and, million, and I, was, I was a hundred thousand dollars in debt at that time oh. between that, between back taxes and wow. my, and my mortgage that was upside down and all this stuff. I was, I basically, he wrote me a check for $125,000. Almost all of it went to pay off debt. And when I got done, I was debt free and I was like, they're like a million pounds right. came off my shoulders right. and I was able to 100% focus on the future and not worry about the debt in the past. Right. I would rather have 49% of something than 100% of nothing, which Amen. could have happened. And well, so with mentorship, I was able to make it happen. And, and here's the thing, okay? It ended up costing you millions of dollars. And, and, and we'll get to that point in a second, but I want, I, it, it costs you millions of dollars to have a mentor and, and, and now you charge 40, $48. <laughs> what the hell? So like if $48 is a problem for anybody that's in business to join Sean's group, you should probably shut your doors. I'm just saying. Absolutely. Man, you, you couldn't have said it any better. <laughs> right. It's so true. Get it's out so true. Of business. So, so that's yeah. not to mention, not even all that, man. It's like not to mention I'm a member of entrepreneurs organization of which I pay $7,000 a year to, to belong to. Yeah. And I get access to some of the highest level resources imaginable for business. Yeah. I've gone through strategic coach three year program that helped me learn how to delegate and build a team. Yeah. I paid four grand a year for that. Yeah. All of that training and expertise I give to people for 48 bucks a month. It's crazy. Yes, it it's is. crazy. I agree. And so, I love it. I love it. I'm kind of crazy anyway. So I, I, <laughs> in a good way you are. And I love it. So like people, dude, people on Facebook are freaking out over this interview, by the way. So, so let, let's talk about, I got a hard stop in 12 minutes. So okay. let's, let's, oh, let's, okay. let's, 12, let's, 12 minutes. Let's, yeah. It's that, okay. So let's talk about you sold the company quickly. Okay, so a lot of people say, why did I sell? You know, what led up to it? How did I find the buyers? All that good stuff. 
So fast forward, 2006, the guy comes in. He has a company selling to the hotel industry. I have a company. Now he's a partner in this one and he's 100% in this. Mm -hmm. In 2009, we start having our first partner struggles. He gets greedy and he starts to want to put the brakes on and I want to grow faster. And he, he's like, Sean, just relax. You know, we're making a lot of money. I think at, at, in 2008, I made my first $1 million of personal income. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So we're doing pretty well. We start clashing and I said, we get in the biggest fight and I go, why don't you just let me buy you out? And he did. And he was so kind of nonchalant. He's like, all right, write me a check for a million dollars and you can buy me out. He didn't think I was serious. I went to the bank and I said, I've got X amount of hundreds of thousand dollars. I need another X amount to get to a million. Would you, would you give me a line of credit and do it? And the bank said, yes. So I went back to my partner and I said, okay, here's your million dollars. He said, okay, well, I'm going to, and this was what one of the, and I'll get this, kept, changed his mind. He's like, well, I want to, I want to keep 10%. And I'm like, okay, fine. Bought back 90% of the company. I wrote him a check for a million dollars. I took the picture. I shared this on Instagram all the time. That was the first million dollar check I wrote. And granted, what, seven years before that, I was $100,000 in debt, pretty much no money. Seven years later, I'm writing someone a check for a million bucks. Pretty cool. That's so anyway, awesome. that was our first big fight. Literally after that, we started clashing so hard that I made the next biggest decision, worst decision of my life, and we decided to merge both of our companies and be 50-50. Oh, geez. That, gave, that took us to about $10, $11 million in, in revenue over the, or no, I'm sorry, $15 million in revenue. Over the next two years, we took it to 20, and we were fighting so bad that we were like, buy me out, buy me out. We didn't, we couldn't come up with enough money because the company was so valuable at that point yeah. that we ended up having to hire a company to, to broker the deal, and it's called an investment banker. Wow. We were doing $20 million in annual sales, $4 million of profit, that fits the category for a private equity group to want to buy you. Yeah. They found a private equity group. Private equity group out of New York bought us for twenty, a little over $20 million, and we moved on. Wow. So we sold 100% because we could not get along. That's uh, the only reason why. It was, it was so emotionally just challenging and draining on both of us. Yeah. And it just was the money wasn't even worth it anymore. And we're both like, you know what? At the end of the day, we had a good ride. Let's just celebrate that. Let's not stay focused on the negative. We had a great ride. We made a lot of money. We're still young. I was 43. Yeah. He was 53. Let's go enjoy the rest of our life with the millions that we made. And we'll go start other businesses. And so that's why I sold the company. Wow, was, dude. Is that, a, I mean, there's all kind, and you talk to anybody who has sold their company, you're going to get, you could talk to 15 people and they'll all have 15 different reasons why they sold. Right. Right. That's why we sold. So, so you, it, it so getting a mentor cost you literally millions of dollars. Well, getting him, getting him as a mentor cost me millions and then not getting another mentor outside of that relationship or a personal board of advisors. There's a bunch of mistakes that we made, but yeah. if I had gotten some personal advisors along the way and stopped relying on him, yeah. I would have never merged our companies together, yeah. which would have made me millions and millions of dollars more. Yeah. I could, I would potentially probably still have that company today and it would be a great small business and it would be amazing. 
I like, doubt if it would be a small business, but well, I mean, it, the, the industry changed, but yeah, yeah I mean, you never know, you never know. Right, right. But so, even if it was, it'd be a ten million dollar business putting out three or four million dollars of profit. It's still a pretty decent business. Right, right. So, and I, I know you got a hard stop, so I want to zip through two more questions. Number one, um, and as, as quickly as you can, I guess. Um, what keeps people stuck, man? What, what, in your opinion, what keeps, I'm not talking about just entrepreneurs. I'm talking about people get stuck. They, they stay stuck and they never get unstuck and they die stuck. What is that? They don't have a desire to be unstuck. Mm. That's why they just don't have a desire, a real desire to be unstuck. That's the bottom line psychology right there. At least that's my opinion. Yeah. They just don't have the desire because when someone has the desire to become unstuck, then they'll go find a solution. Yep. They'll go read some books. They'll attend some workshops and seminars. They'll hire some coaches and they will find a way to become unstuck. We do what we want to do. Right. So if we don't want to get unstuck, we're not going to get unstuck. Now, you could blame it on fear. You could blame it on all kinds of circumstances, sure. you know, they're all emotional problems. Yeah. If you're, if you feel stuck, then you have emotional problems. Right. Uh, I'm not saying you have an emotional disorder, but you've got emotional baggage. Sure. And if you don't go fig figure out how to fix it, then you're not going to fix it. But wow. history has proven in the world that you and I live in every day, we see people become unstuck every day because they'll do the things that get them unstuck. So that's why, since I used to be kind of stuck, even though I've always been a go-getter, there's been times I was like, man, this just really sucks. When I went through my self-sabotage days, when I didn't feel worthy, I went through those times in my life yeah. where I had emotional issues. But I always worked through it. So I just don't believe, you know, that's why I have such a zero tolerance for complainers and a zero tolerance for people that feel like not, that they just can't become what they want. I'm like, you know what? I don't even want to waste my energy trying because they will suck you dry of every ounce of energy in your body. I'd rather focus on the person that says, okay, I made the decision. I want to become unstuck. I'm joining your mentorship program or I'm hiring you as a coach or can you just give me some recommend recommendations for some books? I'm ready. I love working with those people. But the people that you just obviously know aren't ready to become unstuck, misery loves company and they've got lots of friends that love to sit around and drink wine and complain yeah. about life. Yeah. I yeah. like to drink wine, but I don't want to sit around and complain about life. Right, right. So, the, so that's the, my answer. I just think that when somebody wants it, they're going to do it. I, I know have, that sounds oversimplified, but you know how it is, man. I do. You talk to more successful people in life, and I'm not even the most successful person by a stretch of imagination, but you talk to anybody who has become successful, yeah. things are that simple. When you want it, you go get it. I think I think that, you know, and, and I ask this question of everybody, I'm going to ask you real fast, is, is, you know, if somebody called you and said, dude, I've tried everything, I don't know what to do, my electric's getting shut off tomorrow, my, my car was repoed last week, my shit, I just can't figure it out, man. What do I do? What do you say to, because you know, and I know it starts right there, but what do you say to that person to get them over that mental block they're having? If somebody says, I've tried everything and I just can't work, I go, well, you just don't know what everything really is. 
Because if you've tried everything, that means that you have tried to learn about true financial management. Yeah. Have you taken any financial management classes like Dave Ramsey, who I'm having dinner with tonight, which is cool? Have you have you purchased some financial university type stuff and learned about how to control your finances? No. Okay, you haven't tried everything. Right. Are you working, getting paid a wage for 80 to 90 hours of your time every day, seven days a week? Like, are you driving for Uber? Are you working as a waiter? Are you working a gig from Craigslist? Are you doing those types of things? Getting paid for 80 hours? Dude, where's my calculator? Right there. 80 hours at minimum wage. Let's, let's just say $10 an hour. That's $800 a week. Right. right? Times four, that's $3,200 a month. Times 12, that's $38,000 a year. You mean to tell me you can't live off $38,000 a year? Right. You're making some mistakes. So you haven't tr – the first thing I want to bust you down is to say you have not tried everything. Yeah. you got to understand that first because yeah. if you try everything, then you're going to be successful. So let's get you trying the yeah. things that lead to success. Let's get you working 80 hours a week and getting paid for 80 hours of your time. Here's what's going to happen. You don't have any time to spend money because you're working all fucking day. <laughs> so you've got nothing to do with your money but pay off your bills because you're so exhausted from working. Right. So you're magically going to get yourself out of debt. Let's try the things that you haven't tried yet, and then let's see what the results are. Give me six months of that. Give me a year of that, and I guarantee you you'll be in a different place than you are today. I love it, if You're dude. not willing to try the real everything, then you're insane That's because right. you're just trying to do the same thing over and over expecting different results. The definition yeah. of insanity. That's exactly. Right. That's right. So dude, I know you have a hard stop. I, 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 you know, I want everybody to get into your mentoring group. How do they do that? Where do they go? Most The process is you sign up, you get two months free if you pay annual. Um, and then what happens is you get a welcome email, send, it gives, sends you to the online resource center to join the Facebook group. We immediately introduce you in the Facebook group and you get started. You can start asking questions immediately. You get introduced to all the mentors. Dude, we have an archived library of every single mentor session that we've done. Wow. So that if you say, I need to learn about sales and become better at sales, you yeah. type in sales and all the answers that our sales trainers like Tom Black and Kendrick Shope, all of their live sessions of answering questions of other entrepreneurs, you can sit there and watch till your heart's content. That's awesome, It's ridiculous dude. value. It's the same scenario as Gary Vee has on his website, Ask Gary Vee. Yeah. He has a library of all of the questions that he's asked on Ask Gary Vee. It's yeah. in the, the value is tremendous. And then you're in the mentorship group and you can you have direct access to me every day. Dude, and not only me, there's the other mentors too. Yeah, there's people that are, that are much more there. successful to be in there. And Kendrick's a mentor, Lisa. Kendrick's a mentor. Lisa's a mentor. Yeah, yeah. It's freaking awesome, dude. So hey, these listen. are like real heavy. Tom Black, who's still. Go ahead. Uh, well, I want I want somebody to type it into the comments. Most won't. Sorry, I think we broke up. Most won't. I will. Dot com. Yep. Okay. 
Will somebody please type that in the comments for me? I'd really appreciate it. Matt Koenig's on here. He said you're a rock star. So listen, dude, I know you have a hard stop. Thank you so much, man. This was a phenomenal, phenomenal interview. Like, I appreciate your transparency and just keeping it real, dude. Awesome, man. I appreciate you. Glad we, glad we were finally able to make it happen, my brother. We got to have a part two, man. <laughs> well come down to nashville and let's drink some wine and we can just we can just shoot the shit awesome bro well thank you so much i appreciate it you guys have a great day sean thanks so much for your time appreciate absolutely it. thanks ken all righty bye-bye all right bye